was good to be with you all. Thank you for having me. And there was a question I know posed this morning to Nick whether he was the better preacher or whether I am. I'm going to settle that right now. Nick is. Uh, I was just a lowly worship pastor for 10 years, and God told me about three years ago that I was going to start preaching. So I got a ways to go before I catch up to him, but uh, it is an honor to preach after him. He, he is a great resource for me. He, is, uh, he answers a lot of questions for me. He is an amazing wealth of knowledge, and I'm thankful to have somebody so close to me that I can call and ask questions. And uh, You know, sometimes we feel foolish asking questions as Christians, but you should not feel like a fool for asking questions. You've got to learn somehow, so you've got to ask questions. I want to say one thing before we get into the substance of what we're going to talk about. You can turn to Exodus 33 tonight. Exodus 33, as you turn there, I want to thank, I don't remember her name, the young lady that just sang, uh, God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. Now, I just preached this morning through Isaiah 61. And it's amazing, so amazing that Christ in Luke chapter 4 referenced this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 61, which was basically God outlining what his ministry would be in the earth. And it said that he was anointed uh, to proclaim good news. And the good news was that he would set captives free, that he would release from darkness those who were prisoners, that he would bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it goes on and it says that one of the things, one of the ways that this would manifest itself in the lives of believers is that you would have a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, this world would look a lot different if Christians had a, were clothed in the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. There are Christians all over this earth that are walking around in constant despair. You see, the songs that you all sang tonight, the things that we lifted up before the Lord tonight, we should be clothed in the garment of that praise at all times so that people see that there is something different about our God. Thank God that he gives us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Exodus 33 tonight. As we go there, Exodus 33 tonight, as we go there, I want to tell you just briefly what's going on here. We find that uh, uh, after God had led the Israelites out of their captivity in Egypt, we find them in this place where they... uh, began to question God over a lot of things uh, over that period of time where (coughs) God was leading them out of that place. So they settle in this place, and and Moses is up on the mountain with God getting the Ten Commandments. God is writing his principles on the stones for uh, Moses to be able to take back to the Israelites. And in that time that he was up on the mountain, the Israelites began to think that he was taking a little too long. They weren't very happy about it. They started to think of all the things that they should do to fill their time or how they should respond because they didn't trust that God was going to follow through. He brought them out of the land of Egypt and they thought that God's just going to leave us here. So they began to form an idol. They had Aaron form an idol out of all their gold so that they could have some visible God to make them feel good. As if somehow this thing that they formed with their own hands, with their own power, would bring them security. But somehow in their minds, they thought, if I can see something here, even if I formed it myself, that'll give me some security. And of course, Moses comes down to the mountain and he sees all that's going on, and you could imagine how upset he was in that moment about all that was going on. And uh, What we're going to see here then in Exodus 33 is after Moses had gone down there and he had dealt with the people, he went back up on the mountain with God to intercede on behalf of those very people. This is where we're going to pick it up here in Exodus 33. We're going to start reading in verse 1, and then we will 
uh, jump over to Exodus 34, just, uh, just for a couple verses. Exodus 33, starting in verse 1, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to, make, uh, to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friends. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Then chapter 34, starting in verse 6, it says this, And the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generations. Now, what I want to look at tonight is simply the idea that the Lord's people ought to be distinguished by the presence of the Lord. The Lord's people ought to be distinguished by the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to say it this way. God's glory revealed among his people, God's glory revealed among his people is the substance of our declaration. You see, there are a lot of people in this earth that make truth claims or tell you what kind of worldview you should have, the things that you should believe, why you should believe certain things, why you should act a certain way, the way that you should live your life. People all over are telling you the things that you should buy or you should commit yourself to. Everybody is making some sort of claim to truth. And we're no different. You see, the people of God are making a truth claim. But you see, the truth claim means nothing if there's not substance. And what brings substance to our truth claim in this earth is God's glory revealed in us and through us. Meaning that when we are in God, that something actually happens in us. Something changes. Something is different about us when we are the people of God. That is what brings substance to the things that we say. If that doesn't exist, then it's just words. It's no different than anybody else that is making a truth claim in this earth. There has to be substance to our declaration, and the substance is the glory of God that is work within, at work within us. Now, 
over all things is the church. We should be seeking the presence of God among us. Is distinguishing presence because this is the only thing that brings substance to our declaration. Now we're going to look at that through Exodus 33. Uh, some of the things that we find in there. First of all, we find uh, God's people, Moses, desiring, desiring to be distinguished by God. This was his desire. The moment that he saw the Israelites failing and falling away and them forming this idol in their own image, by their own hands, to somehow bring themselves comfort, vain comfort, his first reaction after dealing with the people then was to go up on the mountain before God and to plead with God to not leave them, that they might still be distinguished by his presence. Let's look again, Exodus 33, starting at verse 1 again. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now, in this moment, God had told Abraham, I see all the things that the people had done, but you continue on. Take the people up to the land that I had promised you. He even said, I will send an angel with you. But you see, what Moses could not do was move forward because an angel wasn't good enough. You see, what he knew was the Lord's presence wasn't going to go with them. The Lord said, I'll send an angel with you, but that wasn't, that wasn't enough for Abraham. I'm sorry, Moses. That was not enough for Moses. He wanted the Lord's presence, God's presence to be with them, in them, to go before them, to distinguish them. He knew that they had nothing else. Exodus 3, 8 says this about the land that the Lord was leading them to. It said, it would be a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. A good and spacious land Flowing with milk and honey. You see, Moses recognized in this moment where he wouldn't move forward without the presence of God. He recognized that there was no blessing, peace, or comfort to be had without God's presence. God said, go up there and take this good, spacious land flowing with milk and honey. But Moses said, no, I will not move forward without your presence because all of those things that can nourish my physical body don't mean anything without your presence. A good and spacious land. But what is a good and spacious land without the presence of the Lord? A land flowing with milk and honey. All the provisions that they needed for life. Not just to sustain them, but to give them joy. You see, God used food throughout the Word of God to bring joy to people. It's not just something that just sustains us, but it's something that contributes to fellowship. It's something that contributes to joy. But you see, all of those things they knew without the presence of God, there is no fulfillment. There is no peace. There is no comfort to be found in any of these good things. You see, what the people of God have to realize is there are a lot of good things that God has ordained as sacred for our benefit, for our good, for our sustenance, and simply for our joy. But what we are saying is without the presence of the Lord in our lives, those good things mean nothing. This is what Moses knew in this moment. The finest resources available, the finest land or houses or opportunities will bring no peace to the soul that is not delighting in the presence of God. I don't care what you have. I don't care how many houses or land. You can uh, be all over this country having more wealth than you can imagine. It will never bring peace. It will never bring joy in itself. It will never satisfy the soul. The only thing that will bring that satisfaction is the presence of God 
in our lives. That's it. Moses knew this. Exodus 33, starting verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? It's a question that the people of God should ask pretty consistently. What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of this earth? You see, we can have abundance. We can have great programs as churches. We can have large numbers of people. And it's possible that we might not be walking in the presence of God. What will distinguish his church from every other religious group on the face of the earth? What will distinguish his church from the failings of those who have claimed Christianity only to abuse others in the name of Christianity? What will distinguish his true people from those who have abused it? What will distinguish you and me personally from every other, every other person who is pursuing wealth and power in this earth? What will distinguish us in this earth? A confession of belief a declaration of principle is meaningless without substance. And the substance of our claim is God's distinguishing presence and glory revealed among us. That's what you and I have, is God in our midst, guiding us, giving us His power, giving us His strength, giving us His peace, His, peace, His comfort. That is what the people of God have. We have to recognize that we have nothing else as the church. Some years ago, I was made aware of a situation. Very young child with a mother that was living a difficult lifestyle. The mother decided that she didn't want to continue on. So she took some pills and things to, to end it. With the young child at home. The young child thought the mother was sleeping. So the young child laid down thinking that mom will eventually wake up. She didn't. Imagine how devastating that would be to the heart of a young child. Not only that, but the family continued on for years blaming the young child because they didn't call the right emergency authorities to come take care of the situation as if a young child would have any idea what to do in that situation. You could imagine the devastation in what was an adult at this point for all that they had experienced. What I'm saying to you today is you and I, you and I have no power or words that we can speak into a human's heart like that. We have nothing in our own power that can speak into that person's heart and change them. I have nothing. But you see the glory of God revealed in us. God imparting his spirit within us to speak his word through us and to make it living and active through us. That is what we have. We, there's nothing that you and I can say to change somebody like that. What can I say to give them hope? In my own power. The only thing that distinguishes me from anybody else on the earth that would try to speak to them and give them hope. The only thing that distinguishes me from anybody else is the glory of God. The presence of God in my life speaking in me and through me. And the same for you. There is nothing else that you and I have. My wife is a mental health therapist and I can tell you 
that there are people on this earth that have dealt with things that most of us can't even begin to imagine. What fools we would be as the church to try to speak to them out of our own power. To try to formulate some kind of, some kind of uh, 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 statement of hope for them that comes simply from my own wisdom. What fools we would be when the power of God is available to change the human heart. When the power, the glory of God is available to change the human heart. The Bible says that God will transform us from one degree of glory to the next. But you see that transformation takes place by his glory at work in the hearts of humanity. It is not by anything that I have to offer. It's not by anything that I have to say. The only things that I have, the Bible says again, I will boast in the cross of Christ. That is all that we have. You see, we have to recognize our weakness to be able to recognize our strength. When I finally come to the end of myself and realize that I am weak and powerless, then, then in that place, God can begin working in me and begin to work through me in the lives of those around me. God's glory revealed in his people brings substance to that which we proclaim in the earth. Next, I want to look at the effect of God's presence, the effect of God's presence in his people. His glory and his presence among us distinguishes his people from all other people on the face of the earth. Again, Exodus 33, verse 16, it says this, what what else will distinguish? Moses was asking God, if you do not go with us, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? We see in Acts 4, as Peter and John were preaching about Jesus, and they were healing, and they were performing all of these works in the name of Christ, we see that the priests and the Sadducees weren't very happy about what was happening. In Acts 4, starting in verse 5, it says, The next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and we are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, Peter and John didn't try to claim glory for themselves in that moment. They said, all of these things that are happening, all of these things that are happening are because of Jesus Christ, the one you crucified but rose again. And it said, when they saw their courage in the things that they were doing, in the way that they were speaking, they took note that they had been with Jesus. They were astonished at what was happening. Why? Because these men were highly educated? Not even a little bit. These men weren't educated. By the world standards, they had nothing to offer. They took note that they had been with Jesus. You see, the effect of God's presence in his people is that he will distinguish us in the earth. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to have money. People don't even have to like you. 
Actually, the Bible says that for his sake, a lot of people aren't going to like you. But you see, none of that matters in Christ. The point of it is that when you and I are distinguished by the presence of God in this earth, then as the word of God says that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, that is what happens through the people of God when we are distinguished, when we are are set apart in this world as people who have been with Jesus. Not just people that can tell you about Jesus, but people who have been with Jesus. There's a drastic difference. Probably everybody in this room can read a book and tell you the information contained in the book. There are a lot of scholars in colleges across this country who aren't Christians but study the Bible. They can tell you a lot about what's in the Bible. But you see, they haven't been with Jesus. That's what distinguishes you and I. You have to understand that. You and I cannot be limited because we think we're not educated enough. You and I cannot be limited because we we think that we could never do these uh, amazing things that the apostles did. We couldn't do all of these things that we have seen the people of God do in the past. We couldn't possibly do those things. We cannot be limited. It doesn't matter what you think that you can do in your own power or out of your intellect. If you are with Jesus, if you are in his presence, if you allow him to distinguish you by his character, there is nobody in this earth that can stand up before what Christ wants to do through his people. I have to understand that. The presence of the Holy Spirit among God's people gives them heavenly power that is clearly seen by those around them. Exodus 34, starting verse 29, says this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he he had spoken with the Lord. Verse 30. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. They were afraid to come near him, but Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded... They saw that his face was radiant, and Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. You see, what this tells us is that simply being in the presence of the Lord will distinguish his people. It's not just because Moses was Moses and he was beyond us and something that we could never attain. It's not because of any of that. The Lord will mark his people by his spirit. They will be distinct. They will be distinct. Why? Because of just what I said earlier. I will give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. People will look at you even if you're in the midst of suffering and the person that can have joy in the midst of suffering and somebody looks on and says, what is happening here? Your life is falling down around you. Yet you have a thankful heart. It's because first I recognize that Christ has set me free from my sin. And if he never does anything else for me, that is enough to give me joy. Or the fact that I don't have to have fear in death. I don't have anything to fear. You see, this will distinguish God's people. I'm sure you've experienced this. Have you ever been around somebody and you talk to them and everything they do, everything they say turns back to praise to the Lord? Have you ever experienced somebody like that? There is a different atmosphere around those kind of people. 
There is a different kind of atmosphere when somebody is clothed with the garment of praise and resists this temptation that everybody else seems to fall into, to this this place where their heart is constantly in despair. They're constantly elevating the negative things and everything that is wrong. That is drastically different than the person that might be in the midst of pain and suffering. Yet they elevate the Lord. They elevate the things that he has done in them. They elevate the blessings of the Lord. You see, that's a good sign that somebody's been marked by the Spirit of God. That they are distinguished by the presence of the Lord in their life. God's people distinguished by his presence when his presence is within us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we are also distinguished in character 2 Corinthians 3.16 says this but when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we all with unveiled faces Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. In other words, when we make God the center of our thought and meditation, our ways will inevitably inevitably begin to reflect his character and glory in an ever-increasing measure. From one degree of glory to the next, the Lord will continue to work in you. There is never this moment where you receive salvation and your ticket is punched and that's it, you get to go to heaven one day. But what God is doing within you is restoring to you his image and character from one degree of glory to the next. We see Moses. We see in Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11, talks of Moses going outside the camp to the tent. They had placed this tent outside of the camp so that Moses could go to meet with God. When he would go out there, uh, he was in the presence of God's glory. He was contemplating things God was revealing. He was listening. He was contemplating the words spoken by God and contemplating what it meant to be in the presence of God. He was beholding the glory of God. He would do the same as he was on the mountain with God. As Moses would behold the presence of God, he was distinguished by the glory of God. He was in the presence of God, and when he came down from the mountain, his face was radiant. And you see what this is saying here in 2 Corinthians then. We, uh, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. You see, in the same way that Moses was distinguished and had this radiance about him because he was in the presence of the Lord, in the same way, you and I can come to that place. The Bible says that we can boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace. And be in the presence of the Lord. And what I am telling you is that when you are in that place, when you make that a lifelong pursuit, you will begin to radiate. You will begin to be distinct because of the presence of God that is established in your heart. It will inevitably begin to overflow out of you. You said... You see what this says again. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. The question is, what are you and I beholding today? What are we focused on? What are we looking at? What is in in our focus? What are the things that we are fixated on today? Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. You see, this is what it takes to be transformed and distinguished by the glory of God is to behold God, to have him in your vision, to be focused on him in that place where he is constantly before your eyes. Colossians 3 says that we should set our hearts and our minds, or I'm sorry, Colossians 1, I think, set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated with God. 
You have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You see, what this is saying to you and I is if we are ever to be distinguished by the presence of God in our lives, set your heart and your minds on things above where Christ is with God because your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, simply what that means is if your heart and your mind is here in this earth, you will never be distinguished by the presence of God. But it says, set your hearts and your minds on things above. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means that the source of my life, the source of my life, what nourishes me, what feeds me, what gives me life and hope, comes from a place that transcends this earth. The very throne room of God. You see, that's where, that's why people can come to the place where they can have joy in the midst of suffering. Because their life isn't fed by this earth. Their life doesn't hinge on things in this earth. The source of my life transcends this earth. It is from the place where Christ is with God. When that is the case, when my heart and my mind is there, and when my heart and my mind is fed from there, then I, can, I will be distinguished by the presence of God. But that is the place where you will find a faith that will endure what sometimes is the misery that humans face in this earth. And I can do it with joy. And I can do it with peace. You will never find peace in suffering if your heart is fed from this place. Set your hearts and your minds on things above where Christ is with God because you have died and your life is hidden now in that place. What kind of things are we beholding today? What kind of things do we contemplate? What consumes our thoughts Psalm 101.3 says this. says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Or the King James Version says it this way. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. What are we beholding today? Because you understand what happens sometimes in the church. We hammer on certain subjects. You see, we hammer on homosexuality. We hammer on things like people living together when they're not married, with sex before marriage, and rightly so. But you see, for some reason, when we pay $100 a month to bring it into our home on a TV screen, all of a sudden it's funny. Amen. Why? Why is that? I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. You see, for some reason, some, at least who would label themselves Christians, think that God doesn't want us to take part in those things because he wants to rob us of some kind of happiness or joy. He won't let me do the fun things that everybody else is doing. You see, the reason that God tells us that there are certain things that we should not do is because he knows the destruction that comes from something that might Make you laugh for a second. The Bible says that sin wages war against the soul. Sin wages war against the soul. And you see, sometimes Satan is perfectly happy to not try to win that battle in one night. If it takes your whole lifetime for him to wage war step by step in your life to destroy you, he is perfectly fine doing that. You see, he knows. If I give you this one thing here, and then a week later I'll give you something else. Then it might be a month later I'll give you something else. And someday you wake up and you don't even know how you got to the place where you are now. It is because you ignore the good things that God has spoken for our good 
things like, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. The Bible says that a good, man, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. You see, the things that you and I deposit in our hearts will eventually come back up. Eventually, it will come back out in our actions or our words. If you have a problem with anger, if you have a problem with any of those type of things, the first step is to consider your life and the things that you are allowing yourself to take in. Start there. Because you'll probably find a problem. God's people will be distinguished in character. I want to say this one thing on that before I move on. I want to make sure that we understand what the Lord is trying to do. When the Lord limits things that his people, he keeps us from taking part in certain things that others will tell you are perfectly fine. His goal is to give us freedom. You understand this? As I said, I was a worship pastor for years. There is nothing that I loved more than playing with a band and people who were good musicians and really knew how to play well together. It was such an amazing experience. We had uh, certain times where we had somebody who would play violin with us and uh, you know, could kind of just improvise over the song. So you'd say, like, we're playing in the key of G and just be able to just start playing. You wouldn't have to tell them what notes to play. They'd just start playing, whatever comes to it. Now, you understand that in order to have the freedom to improvise and to play well with other musicians, there had to be certain standards, right? First of all, everybody had to be playing in the same key. Now, if we say we're going to play this song in, in G, and she's felt one day, I don't want to play in G today. That's not going to bring me much joy. I'm going to play in B flat today. Everybody else is playing in G. That would sound absolutely horrendous. You have to play the same tempo as everybody else. You see, what I am telling you today is the same thing in our spiritual walk, that there are certain parameters that we live under, and when you do that, you will find freedom, because there is nothing more freeing than walking up on stage with a band full of people and just being able to play whatever comes out of your heart. That only happens when you live up to the standards that were already set in place. That is why God tells us that there are certain things that we shouldn't do as Christians. It is for our freedom. The last thing that I want to look at quickly is the effect of God's presence in the influence of his people. As I said, every one of us Every one of us has influence. There's no way around it. You can't just decide in this life that you're not going to have influence. Everybody has influence over somebody. The question is what do people see? Is our influence beneficial to them in this life? Because we have a decision on what we're going to do with it. Right? I can choose to influence people in a way that's going to affect them for eternity, that's going to lead them towards Christ, that's going to give them something that is truly living, something that is truth in a world uh, uh, that is full of lies. Or I can choose to fail in my influence. When we draw our last breath and people remember us, what kind of influence will they see? Exodus 33, starting verse 7. 
says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. <coughs> Again, verse 7, Moses pitched his tent, out, his tent outside of the camp. And when anyone would desire to meet with God, they would go outside of the camp to the place Moses had set apart for meeting with God. Verse 8 says that the people would watch, would watch Moses as he made his way to the tent. They would watch him as he made his way to the, temp, to the tent. And as he entered, they would see the presence of God descend on that place. And they would worship God in that moment. You see, Moses, this man who had fear because he was not eloquent. He was not good with words. But God made him into a man that, Israelites, that the Israelites watched. They would see him. They would observe him as he was walking down to the presence of God. They would stand here and watch him, knowing that this is what he was doing. And when he went in, that they would stand there then, and they would worship the Lord. You see, in the same way, will we be people who lead others to the place of meeting with God? Will they look at us and watch us yearning for what we have? Will they see something that distinguishes us, the presence of God, and see us going to that place? And that they would stand there then, desiring to lay hold of all that we have found in God. You see, the point of this is first that Moses went to the place where God was. Now listen again. You and I can be people that read the Word of God and we can tell you what the Word of God contains. I could read a book and tell somebody directions to a certain place. I can look at a map and tell somebody directions to a place that I haven't actually been. But you see, when I need directions to a certain place that's of any significance, I want to hear from somebody that's actually been there before. What I'm telling you today is when we have influence with people in this earth, don't just tell them where to go, but show them where to go. Moses, they all stood out there and watched him as he would leave the camp and he would walk down to this tent. They knew the place to the tent because they saw him going there. They knew what happened in the tent because his face was radiant when he came back. You and I have to be people who don't just give people directions to a place, but they would see in our lives the distinguishing presence of the Lord. That God has done something in me. And that they would see from my life and know then how to find the Lord. Now, make no mistake, I understand we're going to have to give them direction along the way with our words. But a lot of ministry can happen in somebody's life because they see you going to the place where the Lord is. I don't have to tell them every place to turn because they've observed it in my life. And they have seen the effect because he is transforming me from one degree of glory to the next. Listen, we're going to close and I don't know if the worship team is going to come up and do another song or whatever you're going to do, I'll pray. But what I'm trying to get us to understand as the church today. First of all, we have to recognize our weakness. You and I have no power in ourselves as the church. We have nothing in ourselves. You see, but the Lord desires to distinguish his people. The same way that Moses' face glowed and radiated the glory of God. God wants to do that in your life so that those with whom you have influence will see your life 
and know, know that there is hope, that I wouldn't just have to explain to them in worldly terms that there is some hope that transcends this world that you can be a part of, but they know because they have seen in your life that there is something that God is doing in you. We've got to be people who are distinguished by the presence of God. The same way that Moses said, do not send us up from here if you do not go with us. What else will distinguish us from everybody else on the face of the earth? There is nothing. The only thing that will distinguish the Lord's people is his presence among us. If you want there to be substance to the things that you claim before men, that will happen as the glory of God distinguishes you as the Spirit of God dwells in your life. That is what brings substance to the things that we tell people in this earth that they ought to believe. What I'm telling you today is our words mean nothing if they aren't distinguished by the power of the presence of the Lord in our lives. And that should be what you and I seek relentlessly, desperately, Every day, because we have nothing else. The Lord will freely give. Those who come to him in humility, seeking his presence, seeking his glory in their lives, the Lord will freely, freely give. God, we thank you today. Again, for your presence. That you would take us as weak humans. First of all, redeem us. The word says that your son has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness so that we could have peace and fellowship with you. And Father, if that's not enough in itself, we have the joy of participating in your work in this earth. You've taken us as finite humans who are weak and powerless, who were sinful. You have redeemed us, but then you have allowed us by your spirit to participate in your eternal work. Such a humbling thing to consider. But Father, help us to never try to undertake that work out of our own power or by our own wisdom. But Father, that we would be distinguished by your spirit, by your presence. And that every word that we speak to men and women and children in this earth would have substance because it is backed up by your presence within us. Lord, we are humbled by who you are. We love you today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.